the Bouncy Orange Ball Podcast, the home of hoops in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Bouncy Orange Ball Podcast. It's episode four of the UK's new basketball pod, where we cut to the quick of all the game's big talking points. If you're one of our loyal listeners, then thanks for joining us once again. And if you're a newcomer, then welcome along to the party. My name's Stuart Hodge, I'm your host here on Bob, and my fellow pilgrim throughout the basketball season is expert, analyst, and my fellow DJ, Luke Hatfield. Hello there, my good man. Oh, you're right, Stu. I'm thrilled to be here. It seems so long ago since we last did our podcast. Yeah, well, Halloween, 12 days, that's probably the biggest gap we've had so far. Now, you bought a new jersey since we last convened, I have seen. Yeah, that's right. I've um I've invested in a couple of actually. Um, I saw the new city jerseys dropped. Um, and I just I couldn't help myself. I have to invest in them every time I see them. So I bought the new Golden State Warriors jersey. I've actually gone out on a limb and bought a Washington Wizards jersey, despite how bad they've been this season. But it just it just controversial. It just looked too pretty for me to turn my money away from. You know what I mean? And then I've <laughs> I've got a, I've got a good girlfriend of mine who's who's willing to uh pick up another one for me for Christmas. So I should have three by the time uh Christmas rolls around. Oh, well, I, I just think that's that's exorbitant, mate. That's just greed. Anyway, if two sports hacks weren't enough, talking of greed, then we're delighted to say that we can welcome another sports writer, Paul Brown, whose work you may have seen in the Daily Star, The Mirror, and The Express, amongst many others. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Hi, nice. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Great to have you with us. Now, tell us and our listeners just a little bit about yourself and where your passion for hoops comes from. Oh, I grew, grew up watching it. I used to watch it on Channel 4 back in the day. Um, grew up firstly with the, the Celtics and Lakers and then right back mm-hmm. through the Bulls and the, the Jordan era. Kind of rediscovered it a bit more lately. Um, kind of the, I'm quite lucky to be able to write about it in my profession as well. So, you know, yeah, it's good. Right, great stuff, lads. Let's get right down into it. So there are two pretty massive stories in the NBA narrative right now. One which has very much come to the boil, and one which is still bubbling away under the surface. And the latter of these, namely Carmelo Anthony's future with the Rockets, and the fact that it looks, well, completely up in the air right now, we will come to that later in the show. But we have to start off with the Jimmy Butler trade. Now, look, me and you have been talking about this all summer, and I know you, for one, are quite glad just to see the saga put to bed. But are you guys surprised that he ended up going to the 76ers in the end? Uh, I'm not too sure how surprised I am about it. Look, Minnesota, they were they voiced their opinion quite clearly late on that they wanted to get rid of Jimmy, and Jimmy wanted to move on. I think the big thing for Minnesota was probably getting him out of the West um, and doing that with the 76ers obviously worked out for them. I've, I've got to admit, though, I'm not a massive fan of, of the trade from the 76ers side because, you know, they've given up a lot to pick up a player who, mm. I mean, is notoriously bad in a locker room, it seems. And you've given up some players who really did fit in with the timeline quite well. I mean, obviously, we're going to go over the, the exact players who went, but losing Saric and Covington, for me, are, are two players who really did fit in with the Philadelphia 76ers in terms of both timeline and in the way they responded to their teammates and how they fit in. Jimmy Butler, yes, they needed some extra wing defence and another shooter, but you know, you, you're taking a big risk there in terms of is he is he going to have a negative impact on the locker room? That's, that, that's a big worry for me. Hmm. What do you think, Paul? Do you think, because a lot of people have mentioned about the spacing, isn't it? It's A lot of people have said that they're going to be clogging up some of the same areas of the court. When you look at Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler, uh, there's going to be less 
three-point shooting, probably a few longer twos and, and kind of mid-range stuff. I mean, do you think, let's just look at it, not even the personality side of it, even if you just look at it as a as a sort of roster fit, do you think it's the right one? No, I'll go further than Luke. I think they might actually have killed themselves with this trade. I think it's a terrible trade, honestly. <laughs> um, wow. Sarich and Covington may not be, you know, everyone's cup of tea, but I, I read one piece today which suggested it's a bit like a car trading its two rear tyres for a second steering wheel. And I have to agree <laughs> with that. It's, it's not it's not just the fact that you're taking on someone whose attitude is so questionable he's basically been bombed out of two teams now over it you're giving up two pieces that fitted so well for the Sixers Sarich and Covington were their only real floor spacers you've now got three guys who are all going to be clogging up the lane and they don't really have a lot of shooters around them I I think there's going to be another trade possibly more than one down the line for the Sixers because that doesn't seem like a functioning roster to me at all and I think there could be big chemistry issues there between Butler and the two stars. How that all gels is going to be kind of interesting. He's had a lot of run-ins with various teammates in the past. Yeah. And, you know, there's a risk there that he could completely shatter some of the younger players' confidence if he doesn't show up and behave himself, basically. I mean, yeah. Tibbs at Minnesota put a lot of faith in him and look what happened. He threw it right back in his face. I, I can't see the Sixers being as patient with him, frankly, having invested so much money. And you have to remember, he's got an opt-out as well. So this, this could effectively be a rental. I think it's, the Sixers needed something and he gives them a lockdown defender. He gives them another another player who can make their own shot. They needed both those those things. They need a bit of star quality. He brings all the, all of that, but the risks are quite, are quite great. And I, I don't see this working. I think they should have stood pat held out for a bigger free agent in the market at some point because Jimmy Butler is not the one you want to hang your hat on. The Sixers should be looking at trying to win a ring. I don't think Jimmy Butler wins a ring in in Philadelphia. That's an interesting point. Now, this is a bold, bold move by Elton Brand, newly installed as the Philly GM. And as you say, I mean, on on the surface, uh, do you think he's maybe been blinded just by essentially trade value? Because... Philly have traded Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and I think it's a second round pick in 2022 for Butler and forward Justin Patton. Now, Butler obviously is is the most valuable of all of those pieces. But as you say, there's loads of elements to consider here. It could be a rental um, or he could sign that max deal. But even if he signs the max deal with Philadelphia... There'll be 34 by the end of that contract. He exactly. gets the full five-year yeah. bumper contract. So when you look at all of those parameters, it's a really bold move. It doesn't necessarily make sense. Another one, you mentioned about the confidence of the young players. Look at Markel Fultz. There's probably not a more vulnerable young guy in the league. And then you've got this guy coming in who, as well as all of the locker room stuff that we're talking about, I mean, what, what effect does that have on, on Markel Fultz's development? Is that going to eat into his minutes, perhaps, when you look at the way that the rotation's constructed at the moment? There just seems to be so many things up in the air here. There, there is, yeah, there really is. And you're right to mention Markel Fultz because you look at Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns when he was in Minnesota, when he did throw his toys out the prem, those are the guys who you saw a notable drop from, especially Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, the way he's been playing basketball this season, he seems to have detracted from his game, this whole Jimmy Butler situation. And you can imagine it's going to have a similar effect on faults if if Jimmy doesn't kick this attitude out, and I don't think it's possible for him to do it. The talk of the rental for me, it, the way this deal seems put together, I imagine there's 
there's there's probably been a verbal agreement between Jimmy and the 76ers to say, look, I'm going to sign this long-term deal. And, oh, and definitely. Fis- yeah. Fiscally as well. I mean, he stands to lose a lot of money if he doesn't re-sign, re-sign with the 76ers at the end of his deal. Because, I mean, I think this yeah. Philadelphia can offer him about, what, $190 million over five years. Any other team can only offer about 141 So, you I mean, you're turning down almost $50 million, which I think for, for a player like Jimmy Butler, I don't think he's going to be comfortable doing. Um, as for Elton Brand, it's a bold move from him. Um, he'll look at the Sixers' odds, and in in Vegas now they've they've improved from what thirty to one to twelve to one um, to win the NBA title, and seven to one to three to one to win the Eastern Conference. But uh, it's just such a big risk, and it's especially for the young players they've got. Ben Simmons, uh, you know, he's a young player; he's developing. He still hasn't got that jump shot yet. Jimmy Butler, I'm not too sure he's the type of guy to 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 get and put under his wing you know what I mean it's it's just very worrying for me although I am excited to see the Timberwolves and 76ers face off in January that'll be exciting <laughs> yeah it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because it's another ball hungry guy that you, you've brought into the team which is not what Ben Simmons needs around him he needs more shooting around him also looking at the other big guy there's Joel Embiid if you look at Embiid, he's one of the, the biggest personalities in the league and he's very much been the overriding personality for that franchise for a, for a few years now. How does that mesh? Because you're bringing in someone else who's, 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 who's a huge personality, not necessarily in such a positive way either. I mean, there's just so many things that could go wrong. But I'll tell you what, let's play devil's advocate for a minute. From Butler's perspective... He really has to settle in Philadelphia. If not, as you were alluding to, Paul, that'll be three straight teams where he's throwing the toys out the pram. You mentioned about the money, Luke. But from his perspective, do you think he'll be pleased with how this has turned out? Like, pleased to have landed where he has? And is there any way that he can make this a turning point for him? I'm sure he's delighted. Um, He's he's on a contender now, which is what he wanted. And I I do think he must realise all of of what we just said there, he must realise he's got to put it together not throw his toys out of the pram, be the good teammate and try and lead them forward. Um, that doesn't still mean that it will work, though. That's the only thing. If the chemistry is good, they'll be good. If it isn't, they could be terrible. And that's that's the risk side of it. Short term, they should improve because I can see other, other deals coming down the line that will help with the spacing and, and the shooting. But those things are still a big question mark at the moment. I think my, my overriding point, though, really, is that Philly needed to do a deal that would take them into real contender territory. They're close, but they're not quite close enough at the moment. And I don't think this deal takes them past the Raptors or the Celtics in the East. And if you do it to win the East and it doesn't take you that far, then it's failed. Yep, I think that's a fair point. Uh, I think that's that, that that's almost inarguable, to be honest. When you look at this as well, I mean, the other thing that strikes me is trust the process. The process is over. (laughs) That's it. It's done. I mean, what you've done is you've now moved on from the process with this move. I don't think there's any argument of that. Let's look at what they've lost as well. Now, there's, there's a good debate to see whether it's Covington or Saric that's the biggest loss there. Personally, I'd go for Saric because I think he's shown a lot of improvement. He's got a nice combination of the kind of old school and the new school skills. His ceiling maybe isn't the highest in the team, of course, with, with, with who else was there. Covington, such a great team guy. They were both really important cogs. For me, Saric, but for you guys, which of those two will be the bigger loss? For me, it's, you're almost splitting hairs with those two guys. Um, 
I mean, I think they're both big losses. The fact that Covington has been there and he's become this player who's almost the epitome of that trust the process style. I mean, a lot of people look at Joel Embiid when someone mentions that. I look at someone like Robert Covington who came into that team when they were bad and they were really, really, really bad. And he's developed not not only as a player himself, but he's almost been like a player which represents that team in the way he's developed as well. He's grown alongside that 76ers roster and he's really become a solid like 3 and D player. Um, and it's just a, such a shame to see him depart because for me, he'd really become a, a key cog in that franchise. Saric, yes, he was drafted. Yes, he was promising. Um, I'd almost say that they're both an equal loss, um, but I, I can see them both doing well in Minnesota. They seem like good teammates. They seem like good role-playing guys who will know their role as well. So for me, it's a bit of a toss-up between them, although I am a little bit more hurt to see Covington depart. I would say sorry, it's just because there's probably a little bit more to his game for me. Um, I like Covington and he's a, he's a classic 3 and D kind of man, but mm-hmm. there are times when, when he's cold, he's ice cold. I, I watched him quite closely before the, the Sixers came over to, to London for the NBA game and there was a spell of three games or so when he went something like two for 40 from three. He was just so cold, it was unreal. Um, usually really reliable, but he has those little spells when he's just trying to shoot his way out of trouble and he shouldn't be at all. So I, I would say Sarich, but it's close. I agree with Luke. Yeah, it's, it's definitely close. Now, the other side of the coin, Minnesota. <laughs> it's, there's so many variables here. You just look at it and you, you can't really necessarily see how this is good for anyone, at least not, not necessarily in the short term. With Minnesota, where do they go from here? Tom Thibodeau, coach and president of basketball operations, for those who have been living under a rock, he staked everything on bringing Jimmy Butler in. They sent Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the number seven pick, which became Laurie Markin into the Bulls to get Butler. And in the very strongest of ironies, they got the number 16 pick, which was used in Justin Patton back. Now, surely, given all that has transpired since the summer, the infamous training session, Butler publicly holding the team to ransom, Tibbs believing he could still put a winner on the floor, even in the midst of all that discontent, then the fact the team has ended up having to settle for... What's probably a lesser trade package than has been an offer earlier in the whole saga. Surely this has to go down as one of the most, if not the most, embarrassing episodes in franchise history for the Wolves. Uh, yeah, you, you, it's tough to disagree. I mean, when you when you read the story about you know Tibbs, he decided what on Friday night after five straight losses that the team wasn't able to function with Butler as part of it. I mean, everyone knew. The moment he, he he did the infamous practice session, this team couldn't function with Butler as a part of it. There's no coming back from that. But it took him that long to figure that out, and then you hear that the the, the deal was done between uh, on an ownership level that that Tibbs didn't actually have a whole lot to say in in terms of the deal. Uh, yes, he obviously you know cleared the move at the end of at the end of proceedings, but it was done on an ownership level, so it's almost gone over him. And it doesn't look great for, for Tibbs now at all. I mean, the way things have worked out looks very worrying for him. Um, it's, it's a, I mean, the original trade, it looks like a bad one now. It doesn't it doesn't quite compare in, in just how bad it was to, say, Milwaukee sending Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to the Lakers or, or you know, Kobe going to the Lakers from Charlotte. Um, obviously, they got Divach in the other way, but he left two years later. I mean, there's there's some pretty bad trades, but this is this, prob- this one's probably up there. Yes, yeah, Tibbs is a goner. It's a matter of time, surely. I mean, it's not just the fact that he he 
he brought Butler in and, and tried to make it work. It's the fact that he argued against this trade for so long when the ownership were prepared to throw it away. <laughs> and, and I think the owner's right in the end. They, they've got to be questioning his judgment. And I, I don't see how that relationship can go forward. Frankly, it just it can't it can't work. It's it's strange because in in the short term they've got rid of a really toxic part, and bringing in Sarich and Covington is going to make them better. But I don't see it makes them so much better that Tibbs is going to hang on to his job because I just don't see how the owner will will. I don't see how you square that circle after everything that's gone on. No, I, I think Glenn Taylor will, will make the call on that. I can't see it going any other way. I, I think the other factor for me is with Tibbs. He's lost credibility with the locker room, especially given the way he just wilted at Butler's behest initially, and then mm. the situation with the owner. And it's also the damage to the franchise's image, isn't it? I mean, do you think once Thibodeau goes, the that a lot of that damage is redressed, or do you think there's been some sort of permanent damage done here in terms of people will look at the Wolves and they'll say, Do you know what, that's not really an organisation that knows what it's doing at the moment. No, people have short memories. I mean, they've they've been through lots of bad times there before. So, bring another coach in, and suddenly it starts working. I don't think people will go will think back to this too often. <laughs> it, it'll be fine. But but it's the the next step is the big one. What what do they do if they do get rid of him? Who do they bring in? Where do they go? You know, what what, what is the long term plan there? That's the those are the big questions they have yet to answer. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, the way the way things have panned out, I don't see players looking at at the organisation and thinking, oh, well, they they see, I think a lot of players and a lot of people outside the situation see Jimmy Butler as the main culprit in this, not not the uh, the organisation in terms of Minnesota. Yeah. So I think teams will look at it, the players will look at it, sorry, and then say, you know what, Jimmy Butler, he's a bit of a bad egg. They'll have heard stories from around the league and stuff that happened at Chicago, for example, and they'll probably see him as the main, the main cause of that. Um, whether it will have any lasting damage, I don't. I've got a side with Paul on this one. I don't. I don't think it will. Um, I think they'll look at players you've got on the roster. Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns are obviously very promising. Darius Saric, you know, another another promising player now. And you know, it's a shame to see Zach Levine doing so well at Chicago because I think Glenn Taylor will look at it and say, well, we could have had this guy. I mean, obviously, you know, he's coming off knee surgery and stuff, but they'll look at that and then they'll look at what they've got for it and. Maybe they'll be shaking their heads a little bit. Well, they could have arguably had Laurie Martin in as well, which would I mean that would be a really exciting team if you were to if you were to include all those pieces together. But yeah, I mean there's no point in going overboard with the negativity. Two excellent young pieces, as you say, albeit who bring up a lot of cash in, in Carol Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. And they're getting a great team guy in Robert Covington, good young operator in Saric. So the question remains can they turn it round and somehow make the playoffs again? And if so, what do they need to do to do that? Uh, well, you know, you never say never, but the West is obviously a very stacked conference right now. And you look at you look at Minnesota, if, if Carl Anthony Towns can get back to playing the basketball, which we know he's capable of, if, if Wiggins can maybe, you know, make a step up. And then obviously we've got to see what Saric and Covington bring. But there's, there's a never say never. But I think for me now, the future of this franchise kind of, lives and dies with Tibbs. Um, if they get rid of Tibbs and make a you know a smart coaching move, then yeah, there's no reason they couldn't do. Um, I personally would like to see Minnesota make the make the postseason again because they're obviously out that out out of the running for so so long over previous years. Um, but it's a tough one to call right now. I can't see them making the playoffs this season. I really can't. Partly because 
you have to wonder whether those players still trust the coach. They've seen him make so many excuses for a guy who destroyed their locker room. You have to wonder whether that relationship can be uh, repaired as well. And, you know, they're okay, but they don't really have a star. They, they have a lot of missing pieces still, and I don't think they're good enough for the playoffs at the moment, certainly. So it, it would be a miracle, surely, if, if they made it. Yeah, I would say so, to, to be honest. But my job to ask the questions, maybe a quick hot take. Frank Vogel, maybe, in at Minnesota, if they get rid of Tibbs soon. Mm. Uh, just, just throwing a name out there. Uh, last one, lads, on this. In one year's time, no, in fact, in a couple of years' time, who are we going to look at as the winners from this trade? Uh, I'd, I'd say Minnesota. Um, they've, got, they've picked up two good young pieces there. Jimmy Butler... I just can see, I can't see his attitude going anywhere. So for me, I think this is a big, big risk for the 76ers. And Minnesota, in the long run, I think they may they may pay off from this, um, depending on how things go. Yeah, I agree. I think um, there could be more um, progress at Minnesota than there is uh, the, with the process, shall we say. So yeah. two years' time, will, will Butler even still be there? Uh, they, they might regret this more than more than Minnesota do. Fair enough, lads. You are listening to the Bouncy Orange Ball podcast. Follow us at Bouncy Podcast on Twitter and our partner site at NBA underscore UK fans. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Bouncy Orange Ball. Now, you two have been doing quite a lot of agreeing. But today, uh, for our listeners, we're going to do something a little bit different. Now, unbeknown to me, until we were assembling the script for this year podcast... There has been a long-running debate between you two as to who you guys think the best shooter in NBA history is. So we're going to run our own judicial test, Bob-style, to discern who has made the better argument as to who the best shooter in the history of the game actually is. So right now the court is in session, gentlemen. I now invite you both to present your opening remarks as to who you think is the best shooter in the history of the league and why. So, Paul Brown, if you can please be first to take the stand and make your case. Okay, well, I'm going with Larry Bird, the guy who shot 49% from the floor over his career, despite playing for, what, five years towards the end of it with a bad back. If you wanted one player to take the shot at the end of the game, who do you go to? You go to Bird. You don't go to anyone else, not even Michael Jordan for me. Um He's also a guy who shot 50, 40, 90 twice, which people regard as the holy grail of, of shooting. Um, shot over 50% from the floor five times. Uh, and he did all this for me in probably the greatest era of basketball against tougher D than modern players face. Probably in an era which I would say contained three of the top five teams in history. Um since Bird, there have been so many rule changes that have opened the game up for shooters. It's never been easier to score now than it has in, in well, for years, basically. So I'm going to go with Bird. OK, thank you for those remarks, Paul. Luke, you will have the chance to cross-examine the witness in our next session. But if you could now state your case to the bouncy orange ball court, please. Right, I'm going for none other than Wardell Stephen Curry. Right, this is a guy who has totaled over 2,000 three-pointers in his career so far. Five-time league leader in three-pointers made. He made 402 in his 2015-2016 MVP season, of which 
He's the only unanimous MVP winner. He led the league in scoring. He shot above the 50-40-90 remark, which we were just discuss- which Paul was just discussing. Sorry, that same year, the Warriors broke the record for the most wins in an NBA season, en route to reaching the NBA Finals. Of course, they lost that to the Cleveland Cavaliers. But he's a three-time NBA champion, a two-time MVP, a five-time NBA All-Star, a three-point contest champion in 2015. Uh, he scored 23 in his first round, 27 in his second. I mean, this is a guy who needs no real other introduction. It's none other than Steph Curry. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for your opening statements. We will now be in recess until the next session, when, as I said, you will be able to cross-examine the witness. Right, it's time for the other big burning NBA issue, for us to visit it. And arguably, this one's probably more current. It seems nobody is quite sure what the future holds for Carmelo Anthony and the Houston Rockets. The latest we're hearing today is that he seems likely to have played his last game for them, according to teammates and members of the Rockets coaching staff. The organisation's taking its time over things it's believed, just out of respect for his relationships with some of his teammates and his stature as a 10-time All-Star, future Hall of Famer, all of that jazz. Now, Anthony has been away from the team for two games with what's been described in inverted commas as an illness, air quotes. And it should be said, just to to add a bit of balance here, that general manager Daryl Morey has been decrying speculation about Anthony's future, calling it unfair. But the latest reports we're hearing are suggesting that the Rockets could place Anthony in waivers almost imminently. Now, firstly, do you guys think these reports are correct? And if so, what's gone wrong for Melo? Um, I do I do believe they'd be correct. Um, and you only need to look at the way the Rockets have started the season to understand why. Um, I mean, he's only played 10 games and he's been made a little bit of a scapegoat here. But at the same time, this is a guy who didn't really fit in toward the end of his tenure at New York. He's a guy who didn't fit in in Oklahoma. And now you're seeing a trend where he's not fitting in with Houston. Um, he hasn't had the greatest of performances, let's be honest. I mean, yes, he's averaged, what, 13 points and five rebounds. But, I mean, in the, his most recent game was a two-point performance of 111 shooting against the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, it's just one of those ways. It's not clicking. And for me, I would not be surprised to see him waved and then someone will eventually pick him up because who doesn't want a Carmelo Anthony, even with all the problems that he's had, a team will still go for him because they will see a potential scorer. Yeah, I'm going to be a little careful about what I say here because we don't quite know exactly what his situation is. There could be something we don't know yet that means he's going through something that um, hasn't been made public, perhaps. But it's pretty clear that the Rockets are a worse team with him than they are without him. Um, They've certainly regressed. It's not entirely his fault that they've regressed. But if you just look at how they are with him on or off the floor, they're plus 11 without him. So there are there are many good arguments for getting rid, really. And even the, the way the players talk about him, I mean, Chris Paul was supposedly um, really important in bringing him there in the first place and still... Uh, Still talks about him as a as a key ingredient. He said he talked. He said, "Oh, he's, he's like a brother." But you read between the lines, and you get the you get the feeling that even Chris Paul would not be too upset if if Melo doesn't play another game for them, and that's bad news. I I, I don't think he's coming back personally. Yeah, it does seem that all the indications are pointing that way. You alluded to it, Luke. Two really quite decent situations than Aroy's had now. OKC and Houston going into those teams. Okay, Houston obviously lost a couple of important pieces in, in Bahamute and Ariza in the summer there, but it's just not worked out for him in either ball club. Could this be the end of his NBA career? 
I don't think it'll be the end of his NBA career because you'll look at teams who are bottom feeders or you know a team which needs someone who can you know bring some scoring in and you look at Carmelo Anthony and you see Carmelo Anthony who can score the basketball yes he plays no defense whatsoever and yes his locker room impact might not be the the one that you'd be hoping for but on a veterans minimum you probably look at it if you're a team who's not going to be doing too much whether or not Melo wants to be there or not is another question but if he wants to continue his NBA career, he's not going to have teams who are, you know, looking to challenge for rings after him now because they've looked at what's happened in his previous previous stints with OKC and with Houston. And they'll see him as a man who carries around a lot of luggage, doesn't play a whole lot of defence. And yes, I know he's come off in, in a reserved role for Houston recently, but he doesn't seem to take too well to that either. So I think... It won't be the end for him as long as he's willing to take a reduced role, but it looks very similar to the Allen Iverson twilight years, so to speak, when he was going to your Memphises, where he was being shoehorned in because of his name and his ability, which he has undoubted levels of, but it's whether he'll fit in or not. Is there an yeah. argument that this... Oh, sorry, Paul, I was just going to say, but do you think this is maybe indicative of a wider thing in the league that the top end has evolved beyond players of Melo's elk, offensive juggernauts who don't offer anything on the other end? Well, maybe. I would look at it like this. Someone will take him, but how many contenders are there out there who would take a, a punt on Melo? I can't see one. Can you? It, it doesn't doesn't look likely to me. Assuming there isn't something going on with him that means he wants to finish his NBA career, I, I'm pretty sure he will play on somewhere, but it's going to be for teams who, who take him and want a little bit of stardust sprinkled on them, but aren't really in contention for a, for a ring. And he's desperately searching for a ring, so... How long that will last, I'm not so sure. Well, he's not going to the Warriors, so I would say his chances of a ring <laughs> are probably quite small um, if, if you're looking at it in the immediate future anyway. But, I mean, what would you put his, his demise down to in terms of at these bigger teams? Because surely there's got to be a place, you would think, at least theoretically, in a league which is so offence-heavy at the moment for a player that can do so much on that end. I mean, what, what's, what's, what's the issue here? Is it just is it the, the fact that there's there's no defence there at all? I mean, especially with the fact he's been on a sec in June. Uh, that's the, the, the thing that's really interesting for me, especially OKC. He was meant to be the sixth man and, and, and he was meant to basically carry that second unit. And you, you can actually see, I think, that it's, it's going to be much more productive with Dennis Schroeder actually performing in that role. So... It just confuses me because essentially on paper it, it should have worked with the idea of him offering a real offensive punch to a second unit, but it's not. So what's that? What's that demise down to? Yeah, I mean, you look at his tenure in New York, and you you see when he first went to New York, he was that special All Star talent. I think the, his offensive production, we've seen it go downhill, but not mm. downhill to the level of his defense. Like his defense now is is next to non-existent. I mean, if he's on the floor, whoever's whoever's going up against him is is going to get opportunities to score the basketball and do so at quite a rate. And his offensive production isn't so that it outweighs that defensive liability. Now, that's the big thing for me. When he was when he was in New York, he still had that. He had enough offensive punch to make him worthwhile. Now you look at him and you're not too sure about it. So that's that for me is probably the big the big switch for him. Yeah, I mean, I, 
he's never been someone who's played great defense, really, has he? But I think the the issue for him now is 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 the offense still there in in big enough numbers to make people overlook that? It probably isn't. Um, the Rockets lost pieces. They, I mean, they lost Ariza, um, and you replace that with Melo. It's a completely different skill set. So maybe you're asking something that's a little unrealistic there. But like I said, I I just don't see a contender taking Melo and. I wouldn't say he's a man out of time, but he's a man running out of time. Yeah, it, it does definitely seem that way. I mean, I think a lot has to be sort of pointed to the fact that it's, it, it cannot be argued just how, how much of a blow it was for Houston because it was the likes of the Embarmites and Arizas that gave that team their real identity that, that, that made them real contenders last season. And you've obviously got the argument about Chris Paul's injury. Would they have potentially made the finals if it hadn't been for that? It's one of the great what-ifs. And hopefully, you've got to say, hopefully hopefully, it's not the big what-if when it comes to Chris Paul's career when all said and done because the guy that definitely, I would say, is in the, the calibre of players who, who would probably deserve a ring. If, though, this does prove to be the end for Melo, where do you think this would rank, or at least the beginning of the end, and and, and part of a, a sort of steady decline? Where would this rank in terms of inauspicious endings to careers in the league for Hall of Fame players? Uh, well, I mean, it's it would certainly be up there because at the end of the day, you look at Melo and you think he is a Hall of Fame level player, considering what he did at Denver and then the first part of his stint in New York. Um, for me, it's kind of almost on a par with that, like the Tracy McGrady kind of mould, where T Mac was such an offensive force, and he he played a bit more defence than Melo. Let's be honest about it. But it was weird that their declines are almost similar in in the level of which the years they reached to. But T Mac was primarily down to injury, whereas Melo was down to lack of production. Um, and you saw with T-Mac at the end, he was ring chasing. He went to the Spurs, didn't really play a whole lot, didn't get the ring there. I can see Melo trying to do something similar, but I see a lot of teams would take would take the punt on T-Mac because they saw him as a player who was a good guy in the league. Um, did you didn't 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 throw too many toys out of the pram over his tenure, um, but was riddled with injury. Whereas they see Melo as a bit more of a, a drag down on a locker room. So for me, I'd, put, I'd kind of put him on a stint with there, even though that their their careers have kind of gone downhill in different perspectives. Iverson too. I mean, he, he maybe he flamed out early and ended up kicking around a lot of, a lot of teams that you knew were never going to go anywhere. But the two of them are quite similar, aren't they? They're both volume scorers, um, want to run the offense, and it hasn't really worked for for either of them at the moment. It looks like Melo is just going to peter out, but we'll see. We'll be right back to the action in a moment, but if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow the podcast on Twitter by searching for the handle at Bouncy Podcast, as well as our partner site at NBA underscore UK fans. You can also follow Bouncy Orange Ball hosts Stuart Hodge and Luke Hatfield on Twitter too. To do that, search for at HodgeTheHack. That's H-O-D-G-E-Y, the hack, and at look underscore Hatfield. Get involved with the Bouncy Orange Ball podcast, the home of hoops in the UK.
Okay, so regular listeners to the show will know that we run a Who Am I quiz on Twitter to see if our listeners can guess the identity of a superstar, uh, either current or previous, based on clues that we have given them. And we then turn the heat on our guest, that's Paul today, to see if they can guess the identity of the player. So it can be an NBA superstar past or present uh, when you are put on the spot, Paul. Okay, so this week's clue has been provided by last week's phantom guest. Uh, It was a Halloween special, so that works on more than one level. Uh, Bryn Cooper, Paul, obviously, you know Bryn fairly well. Um, And it's fair to say a few people on Twitter have already guessed the right answer, so well done to them. I'll give you a shout out after. Paul, are you ready for the the clues? Yeah, go on. All right, the first clue is... (laughs) I'm a former number nine draft pick who's since played for two NBA franchises. Mm-hmm. I'm, part, I'm part of an exclusive club to record a triple-double of 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 blocks, and I'm the only person to do so shooting 65%. Okay. I'm, a two, I'm a two-time NBA All-Star who's also been named Defensive Player of the Year, and I've won back-to-back NCAA championships. Paul, do you know <laughs> who I am? I think I worked it out, but mainly because of the person who who put the clues together. Because it's clearly <laughs> it's clearly got to be someone the guy likes. And yeah, I think I worked. Is it Yo Kim Noah? It is. You're right, Paul. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, only I, because I, I, I worked out pretty say, soon. Go on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say you are the first guest we've had on that has actually successfully guessed the clues. So <laughs> congratulations. It's only because going through it, I worked out he had to be a Bulls player. There aren't many Bulls players who've won two defensive players of the year, and I wasn't sure about some of the rest of it. But you, you're obviously looking for some kind of power forward who can shoot. So you know, I narrowed, narrowed it down like that. So it was worth a stab. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I, I must admit, I agree with you. When Bryn Cooper is issuing clues straight away, exactly. I was like, okay, it's, na- it's narrowed down to one <laughs> to one franchise, right? But um, yeah. no, um, congratulations, Paul, for getting that. But also congratulations <laughs> to uh, at the Ball Faker, at Jordan Lee Morris, at Armand's Tweets, at HeroBall21 and James Stevens for getting that. They got that one on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, there we go. That And of course, this week, uh, Paul, you'll have to submit some clues for a player which you want to give. So that's, that, is, that is a tradition here on the Bob Pop Bounty. Uh, yeah, and podcast. you know what? Like, there's a lot of this that we put together and it kind of happens like sort of deliberately because it was what we, we we chose to do but that tradition is one that established itself uh, without that i think it was actually josh eberly who uh, suggested doing it and then yeah he said he wanted to do it so it's, it's now become part of of our growing folklore you might say but you will always have the the auspicious honor now mate of being the first guest that we've had on to actually guess the clues correctly although what i think we should actually do now is not tell Hopefully, people that we get on aren't paying attention to previous episodes and, and who's been on them, <laughs> uh, and then we won't tell them where the clues are coming from, because I feel that gave you a wee bit of an unfair advantage there, mate, but I'm not going to hold that against you. <laughs> Excellent. Right, lads, moving on. Just before we head back to our great NBA shooting debate, let's have a gander at some of the noteworthy regular season records so far. And with a lucky for some 13 games played for most teams, we're going to be asking, are they real? As in, is their start indicative of where we can expect them to be at the end of the season? So just choosing a few of these at random, keep the answers quite short and snappy. Let's start off with the Memphis Grizzlies. They've started 7-4. and four. Is that real? Will they bag a playoff spot? I've already talked about this in a previous podcast, too. I'm, I'm hopeful that the Memphis Grizzlies can. I think they've got the players, when they're staying nice and healthy, I think they can actually challenge in the West. The worry is, can they stay healthy? Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol are notorious people for being 
going down injured and then spending a lot of time on the treatment table. If they can stay healthy, I think they could squeeze in. Yeah, t- touch and go, I would say for them. They've got the talent just to make it if it all works and they stay healthy. But yeah, that's that's probably kind of indicative of where they are right now. Yeah. Okie dokie. The Raptors have the best record in the NBA. They top the power rankings right now. Still quite early to tell, but will they come out of the East? I think they're their top seed in the East. I really think it's it's working for them. They didn't have to change too much with the trade they made and uh, Kawhi seems to be healthy, seems to be fitting in pretty well. Their bench is very deep. When the when Lowry and, and Kawhi aren't firing, they've got a lot of options, a lot of weapons to bring in and they look like the, the best functioning unit of the moment. I think they will win the East now. Okay. I'll agree. I'll agree. Uh, the Raptors are a very good side. Kawhi's fitting well. Nick Nurse seems to be doing a good job. Um, if they've they've got that great bench too, uh, the only question is for them is whether the Celtics pick things up and actually start winning games and mm. challenge them over a seven game series. Yeah, preempted me there. Look, I was going to say I think the Celtics are going to get it together, and I thought they're they're who I think is going to make the finals from the East. Right, the Kings are above five hundred. Uh, Kings fans must be getting vertigo to be fair. Uh, they're on the fringes of the playoff spots. Can they shock everyone? I, I don't think that would be be a lie with a postseason appearance. I think they'd be shocking themselves if they make the postseason as well, to be completely <laughs> honest. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the likes of De'Aaron Fox and some of the other players they've got there. Um, but on the whole, I can't see them continuing it. It's nice to see them doing well because you don't like to see a team lose regularly and just become this team who are a complete bottom feeder. But I just can't see them maintaining that. No. In a word, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> De'Aaron Fox. Sorry, no. <laughs> Darren Fox has been fun, I will say that. Right, the Bucks, 10 and 3. They've slowed down after a blistering start, but they are contenders, you would probably say, especially with Giannis continuing to astound. And particularly for me, their huge increase in shooting from beyond the arc. That's been something Budenholzer's put a real emphasis on. The Bucks, are they contending? Yeah, they're contending. I think there might be some drop off there. Whether they can keep it going or not, I don't know, but. Uh, they look like they made a big step forward, certainly improved, um, and they will be in the mix, definitely. I think there are better teams in that side, but yeah, they're, they're in there, definitely. I'd tell you what, if Brook Lopez keeps shooting the way he's been shooting, then they're <laughs> certainly contenders. Um, yeah, no, for me, they are contenders. Um, they should be challenging to get out of the East, um, whether they do or not. They've got a lot of other good teams around them. Um, but if, if Janice continues his amazing growth then there's no reason to say they can't do because he's an almost impossible guard when he's playing at his peak yeah the Lopez thing's really interesting I watched a game can't actually remember who it was against earlier this season but he was none of four from beyond the arc kept shooting the ball and that quickly became four of eight or five of nine uh, and that's that's what seems to be happening. It seems to be getting quite streaky, and that's it's going to be interesting to watch. Really interesting roster that the Bucks have got. Trailblazers and the Nuggets. Talking of interesting rosters, particularly the latter, they're ten and three and nine and four respectively in the West. Are they both as good as those records would suggest? Uh, the Nuggets. I mean, for, the, for me, the Nuggets should be doing better than they have been. Um, they they lost a really harsh back to back at home as well, which was surprising recently. Um, I feel like the Nuggets are certainly good enough. The Trailblazers have surprised me because the way they fl- flamed out of the playoffs last season, I thought you know a lot of people were thinking as well, is this team going to blow it all up and try and rework? But they've, they've started quite strongly. Um, 
they've got talent in that backcourt. I just don't know whether it reflects into a playoff perspective. So just an interesting one. I mean, are they going to be just another Raptors, like really good, or like the previous incarnation of the Raptors, really good regular season team that just bomb in the playoffs? I think so. Like that seems to be the way they're set up at the moment. I don't know about how you think about it, Paul. Uh, I think I don't think they're close to the Raptors, even even of last season. Personally, I think they're, they're totally guard reliant, totally guard heavy. They, it seems to me they either have to shoot the lights out or they're going to be terrible. Um, started well, and you know I'm sure they'll they'll make the playoffs, but how far they can go, I, I can't see them going deep in the playoffs really. Right, and a couple of teams just to finish off with. Uh, Utah Jazz did some really interesting things uh, to start the season off. Now five hundred. Um, what, what were you thinking about the Jazz lads? I really like the Utah Jazz. I really like what they've done. I like their roster. Uh, it hasn't always worked for them so far this season, which has slightly surprised me because they looked really good in the playoffs last year. And I, I could last season I could see them knocking off a, a lot of higher seeds. This time it's a few more question marks, but that that is a, a deep roster with a lot of young talent that's going to grow and get better. And I think. They look a very versatile unit. They're going to cause some problems. Yeah, I'd agree. It's been very surprising to see them at 500 because mm. I think a lot of people had them as the third seed in the West and I think a lot of people had Houston as the second seed. I'm not too, not too sure how those two are going to pan out now. Um, Utah, for me, they're, they're a lock for the playoffs um, if they pick things up and play the basketball that they can. Um, I do want to see them do well because, like Paul, I was very impressed with them last season, especially in the postseason. Uh, hopefully they can get it together because you know this they should be doing better than 500 yeah i agree the, to be honest the, the thing about them is they're pretty deep as well when you look at that second unit it's got some good players on it donkey exum's a player that i'm still quite big on uh jay crowder has been playing in the second unit some of the time as well um that game earlier on in the season as well i think that's probably been the game of the year so far uh was the the one against the warriors where Yerebko of all people Got the buzzer beater. I mean, that was just that was brilliant, wasn't it? What oh, game. it was a great game. Can we just have a shout? Way. Can we just have a little shout out for Joe Ingles here as well? A guy who's completely outplayed Pitt with far more talent in the playoffs last yeah. season. Who, who, who you, you look at and you think, how has this guy got a career? But he's he's been absolutely outstanding for them. Oh, for yeah, any shooting of our, the lights out. Yeah, for any of our listeners who sort of maybe a bit newer to basketball, it's it's kind of like someone with the build of an amateur football player, sort of playing <laughs> like at the, the highest level of the sport. Like he just doesn't have the body of an athlete, but the guy has such a good shot, decent defender as well. Uh, some of the time, so um, yeah, yeah, definitely worth a shout out for him. Last team I'm going to ask about is finally and almost predictably. The Lakers, the LeBron Lakers. Now, they're scraping into the playoffs as things currently stand. Do they make it? And will they finish above the Clippers, who currently have a better record? I'll tell you what, if, if LeBron starts playing his regular season defence um, at a slightly higher level, because at the moment, I mean, we've seen LeBron take games off, but wow, defensively, he's not looking good at the moment. And from the free throw line, has been fairly shocking mm. as well. I mean, he, he got away with it the other night, but... I mean, on the whole, he's, he's not been the LeBron which we're almost used to seeing. Um, but if I tell you what, if, because they've got him, I think they do make the playoffs and I think they do finish ahead of the Clippers. But for me, it's not... this. As we said at the start of the season, this is not going to be a winning Lakers team this year. They're, they're playing a long game here. So when they look at free agency next summer, they'll try and pick someone up. And if they do, then there will be this super team who could, in, in theory, challenge Golden State Warriors. Yeah, I think 
they might be good enough to finish above the Clippers, but whether that's good enough to get them in the playoffs is another question remains to be seen. Um, he's played well. Does he have the pieces around him? Probably not. Is that a functioning roster? Probably not every night. They're going to get beaten quite heavily at times. Can they keep it above 500? Not so sure. Been talking about trades, by the way, just to fling one in here. Uh, Tyson Chandler, what do we think of that? Uh, well, I mean, Tyson's found himself another team, and he's, you know, he's he's always going to be able to do that because of the rim protection he offers. Um, and you know what, you can just throw lobs to him all day. Um, he's effectively a you know a lighter version of DeAndre Jordan at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's it kind of worked out well for him. He's you're not surprised to see him go to the Lakers where they have picked up players who. have of a similar kind of ilk in like the fact of, you know, your Rajon Rondos, your JaVale McGee's, these kind of players who can come in and, and effectively do something of a job this season and then when things work around to next year, they'll try and figure things out then. Um, but it kind of works out for Tyson Chandler, it kind of works out for the Lakers. I don't think it's a long-term move, it certainly isn't considering his age. Um, but no, you know, you can't, you can't talk him down because they needed a player like that and they got him. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. I mean, he's 36, so you can't you can't see him being there for for too long. But he feels a need, doesn't he? He's been a reliable player for for other ball clubs. So yeah, for the time being, I can see it. Can see it being a winner. I think the one thing I would say in terms of the facial hair game, I don't think there's a stronger big man bearded tandem than those two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Definitely winning that particular battle. Now, you are listening to the Bouncy Orange Ball podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for Bouncy Orange Ball. That means you'll get automatically updated about fresh episodes. How good's that? And hit us up on Twitter, of course, as well, at Bouncy Podcast. Okay, now the court is back in session, gentlemen. So first up, Luke Hatfield. We invite you to the stand, and I want you to give me the three main reasons that you believe Stephen Curry to be the best shooter of all time. I want three bullet points, quick fire, go now. Right, first one. This season, this season alone, Steph is shooting at an absurd level. Right, we talked about 50-40-90. This guy's shooting a shade under 50-50-90 this season. That is, that is, I mean, if he does that, you can't I, mean, I can't, I can't see an argument for why you can't label him as the best NBA shooter of all time. Secondly, his impact on the game has arguably altered not only the NBA landscape, but the, the landscape of all basketball worldwide. You have seen this development from big men in the post to let's get a guard who can shoot the ball off the dribble. Look at, look at the likes of Trey Young and Damian Lillard. They're, they're effectively products of Steph Curry basketball right now. That is the second reason. And then finally, you just look at the records he has had. I mean... He's already in the top five for all-time makes from beyond the arc. If he plays until he's 37, which I think is perfectly fair to say, he only needs to make 112 threes each season to hit the number one spot. And he's only made less than that once, which was 55 in the 2011-2012 season, which he only played 26 games because he was playing with, with bad ankles. I mean, if he shoots his yearly average of 219 for the next seven seasons, he'll total over 3,700 made three-pointers over his career, which is more than 700 more than Ray Allen, who currently tops the rankings. So he will be the all-time three-point shooter of NBA history too. So I just can't see an argument why you wouldn't, wouldn't label this guy as the best shooter of all time. 
Okay, someone's been getting the calculator out. That's been that's been noted. <laughs> uh, Paul Brown, you now have the chance to cross-examine Mr. Hatfield on the three points that you have just heard. So, um, not not too long, but let's 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 break that down a little bit. Okay, look, there's no denying Curry's a, a great shooter from, and his his range is is phenomenal. The rate he's hitting threes is is phenomenal, but he is playing in an era where it is a lot easier to score, and that's the biggest thing that counts against him. Plus, if you look at some of his finals performances, he has not been great. This guy should be MVP of the finals every time they're in the finals if he wants to be regarded as the greatest shooter of all time, and yet he's had finals games where he's gone 3 of 11, 3 of 9, 2 of 9, 4 of 14, and 2 of 15 from three-point range, which is supposed to be his bread and butter. That's, That's where... I disagree with you. What do you think? He sh- well, he should have. He should have had an NBA Finals MVP. The, the year Iggy won it, he should have got it. Right. Okay. Right. We're, we're not going to turn this into a tit for tat, gentlemen. This <laughs> is a courtroom. <laughs> we're going to we're going to observe the rule of Bob Law whilst we're here. But um, yeah, I think that was quite a compelling cross examination, Mister Brown. Uh, now the the case for the Golden State man can rest for the time being. Paul. Could we ask you to state your three key reasons that Larry Bird was the greatest shooter we have ever seen? The greatest shooter we've ever seen, for me, has got to do it in the clutch. And I can't see a better clutch shooter in NBA history than Larry Bird. Pat Riley once said about him, if I had to choose a player to take a shot to save a game, I'd choose Michael Jordan. If I had to choose a player to take a shot to save my life, I'd take Larry Bird. Look at the career. Look at the buzzer beaters. The duel with Dominique, 9 of 10 in the fourth, and the steal. I don't see a better clutch performer than Larry Bird. Even Jordan says that if he had to choose one other person to take that last shot, he would choose Bird. Also, look, Mm -hmm. let's forget the three-point contest where he turned up and said, which of you ladies is finishing second and then blew them all away. Let's forget the 60-point game against the Hawks when he hit so many impossible shots that even the opposition bench were giving themselves high fives. Let's look at the left-hand game. This is a guy who got bored sometimes playing basketball because he was so good. He would often dribble into traffic just to increase the degree of difficulty for some of his shots. But this is a guy who'd start taking shots with his offhand. And one game, Blazers, 86 he scores 47 points. He hits 10 of 21 with the wrong hand on his way to a triple-double and a 14-foot fadeaway game winner in overtime with three defenders in his face. Case closed. <laughs> nice way to finish. Look, you now have the chance to cross-examine Paul. Right. Look. Yeah. <laughs> you're saying Larry Bird is the best clutch shooter of all time I think you're doing Robert Horry a little bit of a disservice here <laughs> but I don't get how you can vote for a player who only totaled 649 three-pointers made and he only shot over his career 37.6% from the on the arc like, think about that that is a bang average three-point percentage when you compare it to players in this league if you shoot 37% from the three-point line it is bang average nowadays you see players who are shooting above 40%. Steph Curry shoots above 40%. I mean, he's, he's shooting nearly 50%. I just can't see how you will vote for a player 
who would do that. I mean, look at look at the games with 11 plus three pointers made. Curry has six. Every other player in NBA history totals seven. I mean, I just can't see why you would why you would look at anywhere else. It just seems crazy to me that yes, I'm not. I don't want to take away from Larry Bird because he was a phenomenal player and he was a great shooter. But for me, Steph Curry is it's just years light years ahead of him. It's not a decision to make. Look, it's already been made. <laughs> what you have to remember, if I can just come back on that though, is the three point line only came in. I think in Bird's rookie season, he never averaged more than four attempted threes a game his whole career he was barely taking one a game for the first three or four years of his career and he only started really concentrating on that in the last four years when he was shooting over 40 percent so you're not really comparing like for like and the biggest difference with the two of them is that they're playing in or they're obviously playing in, in different eras so Curry gets his shots a little easier than Bird ever did and he's playing on a team with so many weapons that you can't key in on one person like a lot of teams did with Bird on that Celtics team. But Bird's been asked about this himself many times and there's one there's one quote that's key for me if I could just let you have it. Bird once said, the rules have really helped him out because back in the day when a player like him came through the lane, that guys would chuck him, meaning elbow, shove, push, all the rest of it, much more physical era. Now you can't touch him. So Curry can get to where he wants to go faster and get set for the shots quicker. In a way, it's not a fair fight because Bird never had the opportunity to do the things that Curry's done. So we can't really know. And I will admit that uh, Curry's range, he, he shoots from so deep because he can. Bird never had to take those shots and never tried to take them. So in a way, we will never know if he could have made them to the same extent that Curry did. But for me, because of the era, the way he was taking his shots, the teams he made them against, and the ability in the clutch, he wins greatest shooter of all time. When you when you throw Curry into it... Paul, you, you won't get the chance. The... Yeah, you're going to get the chance for closing remarks, mate, but I'm going to have to shut uh, okay. it down, Becca, because the... The, the key thing here is, I was almost on the verge of holding you in contempt when you suggest that we can never know who the greatest shooter is. The whole <laughs> concept of this is for us guys here on Bob to get to the bottom of that argument. So now, the court's going to be in recess until we get Ask Bob out of the way, and then we will come for closing statements and judgment. And I hope you've not used too much of your good material there, but save that up, my man. Ask Bob! The Bouncy Orange Ball Mailbag. Okay, time to dive into the Bouncy Orange Ball Mailbag once again. Before every podcast, we ask our listeners to get in touch with questions using the hashtag AskBob and tweet into the Bouncy Podcast or NBA UK Fans account. And once again, lots of you are in touch with questions and some of the best have been selected for this week's podcast. So let's launch straight into them, shall we? First one comes from Connor McKnight. He tweeted directly saying, what is the situation with Carmelo Anthony? Hopefully we've already answered that. Do you think he'll be traded or will he stay with the Rockets this season? Yeah, Melo, I think he's he's gone. We've, we've kind of covered it, haven't we? I don't I don't see what more we can Yeah, we can I mean, say. when it comes to sort of the idea of is it going to be a trade or is he going to be waived, I think he's going to be waived and I can see him ending up at maybe one of the sort of teams lower down the pecking order where they need a bit of a scoring punch. Please, not the Orlando Magic. I don't think they need that. And to be honest, I don't think a front office would go for that. But um, yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's going to be waivers rather than a trade. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. 
I can't see a trade. Uh, you know, you look at it, and it's it's, it's clearly going to be a, a a matter of waving him. Um, and you know what? A team will pick him up, as I mentioned before. Someone will pick him up. Someone will see a star name, and they'll think, yeah, why not? He might sell some tickets. Um, right, Hero Ball Twenty One. He's next up. He said, if you're a team in need of a point guard, for example, the Suns or the Orlando Magic, would you rather take Markel Fultz or Terry Rozier? Oh, Terry Rozier all day long, isn't it? This is a guy who's done it in the playoffs and, and scary Terry. Come on. I mean, Markel Fultz, you're, you're looking at a, uh, a repair job, surely. We, we, who knows how good he's going to be? The, the risk is too high, isn't it, between the two of them? I would take Rozier all day long. Yes. Now, I'm always a guy that likes to try and be big on young players with a lot of upsides. But as you see, we don't really know what the upside is going to be. And I think, um, I mean, I'm obviously looking at this very much through a magic lens. Um, and it's got to be Scary Terry. And actually, I think we're going to be one of the teams that if, uh, there has been murmurs. And I imagine it's something we may well visit if the if the, if the rumours persist um, on the podcast. There has been murmurs of them maybe getting traded, not necessarily happy with the situation in Boston. Uh, I think Magic are one of the teams that are, are, are in those in those rumours and, and, and maybe in discussions with Danny Ainge and the team there. I think Scary Terry would be. I think he would be a good addition to any team. We went to. I mean, he was performing at just about a starter's playoff level. Maybe not a superstar level, but it's certainly a passable starter in Kyrie Irving's absence last year for the Celtics. Yeah, I got to agree. For me, Markel Fultz. I'm. I'm very worried about him now. I see. I look at this Philadelphia 76ers franchise, and I see him, and he's still struggling with that jump shot. He just, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if you see him mentioned in trade talk later down the line this season, because as Paul mentioned before, you know, you're looking at the 76ers and will they make another move? I can see them trying to dangle him as a potential player if they can get some sort of tune out of him as a young player, because him and Ben Simmons for me just aren't seeming to click properly. You got two of these guards who I think Josh Eberle mentioned this on a previous podcast too that aren't clicking. They neither of them can shoot the ball. There's a little bit of an argument mm. over who who plays the ball more. For me, I can see him possibly mentioning trade rumours, but that's just me. Right, we've got um, another previous uh, person who's, who's affiliated with the podcast, of course, Ginger Shack. He's asked a Yay. question, can Zach, can Zach Levine continue his momentum for the remainder of the season? And also, who outside of Luka Doncic is impressed so far as a rookie? Like those questions. Um, I'll, I'll take the first one first. I think Zach Levine might not continue shooting at quite the extreme clip that he is at the moment, but I, I think he's going to have a really good season. Yeah, I think he's set for a good career if he if he keeps going like that, isn't he? But you have to you'd have to wonder whether he can keep that going. Um, yeah, I, I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd have to say with Levine, you know, it's it's been great to see him come back from injury and do so well. Um, I think I don't see there's a reason why he can't continue this kind of you know, focal point style that he's taken at the Bulls, unless Laurie Markkinen comes back and takes away some of his shots when he's healthy. But on the whole, it's been nice to see him at least, you know, start a season strongly because there was there were fears, fears over him, weren't there? Yeah, you just got to hope that the injuries don't sort of return because I'll always have a soft, soft spot for him. I think I've alluded to it before because of that dunk contest. I just the player will always, always have a, a soft spot because of that. Um, on the question about the rookies, uh, I, I do think that Luka Doncic is just blowing them out of the park at the moment just with the varieties to his game and the idea that the guy could become more athletic. But do you know something? I almost don't want him to become more of an athlete because I think he's just a baller. 
You know what I mean? Mm. He's just a pure basketballer, and I think that is that's almost the beauty of him, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, for me, I've I've tried to look away from Doncic just because of the question which which Dean has obviously asked here. I've been impressed with Aiton. <laughs> I've been impressed with Aiton's stats. That's for sure. But a couple of other people have stood out. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. has been good of late. I mean, his twenty five points against the Nuggets was something of an eye opener for me. Um, other than that, and obviously me being a lover of long range shooting, I can't help but look away from Trey Young as well. Um, yeah, I know he's on a losing team, but he's just he's just so fun to watch. Yeah, it's hard to look past Doncic though, isn't it? He's I mean 20, 20 points a game. Mm. A little little talk about a knee injury recently, so I hope that doesn't derail it. But yeah, I think he's he's got Rookie of the Year sewn up, hasn't he? Yeah, I I personally think so, especially considering Phoenix aren't winning a whole lot of games. Um, I know Dallas aren't either, but on on the whole, I can see Doncic just... I mean, he was my tip for Rookie of the Year at the start of the season, and so far, it seems to have come good. Yeah, I was the same. Uh, I've got to say, actually, um, I've been quite impressed with Bagley uh, and what he's done in limited minutes. Uh, I I would be interested to see if he can he can always be elite so that situation at the Kings um, I can see him maybe becoming sort of part of the starting five there and I think if that happens I think he's got quite an impressive array of weapons but I mean not in rookie of the year contention but in terms of sort of upside and development another good player mm. and uh, John Arnold asked another question uh, this was a good one thoughts on Sky Sports not having the pre-game and half-time coverage of the NBA you saying he was missing some of the personalities you get from the American coverage Oh, I hate this. I've got to take this. I've got to take this. I really hate that. I've missed that so much. <laughs> I, I just, it, it adds so much to the, the presentation. And uh, it's quite amusing hearing all the, the Sky Sports um, presenters mangling American names and, and trying to, you know, convey stuff that they don't really know a whole, a whole lot about, about. But you really need the halftime show, don't you? You need the banter. You need the breakdowns. You need the analysis. And... Uh, some of the stuff they play instead just really winds me up. They they play f- film that everyone's seen a hundred times before, and it yeah I I don't get it. Give us the halftime show back, please. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, that, I mean it's it's quite an impassioned sort of sort of stance that, that you take there. But I'm just wondering, like I mean, just in terms of the reason for this, is there potentially some sort of rights issue with that particular yeah. part of the broadcast. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't see that they would necessarily do it just voluntarily going, do you know what, you guys aren't getting that. I think I think there's got to be a reason that, that it is omitted from the, the the broadcast in the UK. No, it's definitely a rights thing. I haven't I have to admit I haven't asked why. I will ask, but um it's it's clearly a, a rights thing, otherwise they would they would just have it. Mm, that's it. It's, it's weird, isn't it, with Sky Sports? Because you look at it and you think, this is great for the NBA. Part of me wants them to, to bring the, the, the American halftime show and the halftime you know, presentation and the pregame stuff. But part of me also wants to see them give, give like, a, a not a... It's, it's hard to say, but, you know, a, a core of people who know about basketball that may not, you know, have given been given the coverage before. So, like, if they brought in British presenters or presenters across, like, like, like they do with the NFL, so to speak. I know the BBC do it. They've brought they've yeah. brought a couple of NFL guys across. If they did that and tried to make it work, I'm not too sure whether fans would embrace it or not. Um, it's it's a tough one to chuck up because if you do that and people don't take to it, Sky look a little bit silly. But then, if they're willing to pay the money to bring in, you know, your, your Shacks, your Chucks, and you know everyone else, then you'd think it was a, a 
you know, smart move to make, but then they're not really investing in the British side of things. So it's a tough one, but I, I, I mean, for me, it is part of the coverage, as Paul's mentioned, and it's such a big part of it because, you know, you look at stuff like Shakhtar in a Fall and people absolutely love it, but they're not getting that from the British coverage right now. Mm. I, I alluded to this in the special that we did together, look at but when Sky acquired the rights and obviously mm. um, the, the way that, that happened was, was, was pretty dramatic, really. I think that Sky, when you look at their coverage of the NFL, they found their feet with it. It took them a little while to, to basically get their formula quite right. They weren't scared to, to try stuff and, and, and try different ideas. And I think that um, it will be interesting to see the, the approach that they take with the NBA. We've got to remember it's still very early stages with it. So perhaps they are working on some concepts and some ideas in the background to maybe do that. We don't know yet. But I'm a bit like you, mate. I think, obviously, you've got the American presentation and, and that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very entertaining, you've got to say, um, with, with, with Ernie and all the gang at, at halftime. But when it comes to the, the fact that this is now sort of in the UK, it's a growing sport in the UK, I'm a bit like you. I, I, w- I would be interested to see if Sky can explore perhaps certain parameters and, and means by which that they can do their own coverage in their own way. Obviously, the NFL Red Zone in particular works really, really well. I'm not saying necessarily the same idea when it, when it comes to flashes of, of, of different basketball games, but but maybe some sort of coverage platform where that they're doing it in their own way and, and, and bringing the, the sort of innovation that they obviously can to, to the party with that. Mm. Right, Tom Walker comes over our last question. He said, with Jimmy Butler signing with the Sixers and Mello looking like he's on his way out of Houston... Where do you think the Rockets go next? Do they go with what they've got or do they make a trade? I think they probably try to make some kind of trade, but what there is out there that improves them enough is hard to see at the moment. So what's coming at some point down the line, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't think they blow it up. Too good a team to do that, too early to press the panic button. But um, serious issues to resolve. And I don't think just getting rid of mellow souls very much of them. By the way, is there not an argument here that James Harden should be doing more if he's if obviously MVP level player and all the rest of it? I mean, should he not be doing a bit more just to, by his own sort of volition to get them out the hole? Also, a bit of a drop off from Capella. Oh, you're not going to ask him to play some defense, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's. I mean, I think that's maybe the issue, isn't it? Because he had so many. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Him. Yeah. 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 Problem. Yeah, that's it. I think Daryl Morey obviously knows how to make deals, but as Paul alluded to just, I mean, I don't know how much is going to be out there for them. Um, it's fair to say, I think, that this Houston team, without Luke and Baramute and Ariza, simply aren't going to threaten Golden State at the moment. They're not going to be scared of them. Um, and then you look at Chris Paul, who's ageing and he's you know, injury-riddled. Um, in previous years, James Harden, as, we, as we've just mentioned, doesn't play a whole lot of defence. Clint, Clint Capella's not played at the level we've seen from him. Um, it's a worrying time, I think, to be a Houston Rockets fan. But as always, you know that's the way things are in the NBA, um, and that effectively wraps up our our, uh, our our Ask Bob mailbag. So keep them questions coming in. Appreciate them all being sent through, and we'll try and feature as many as we can next time. Yes, thanks to everyone for taking part, and even if your question wasn't selected this time, keep them coming in. Right, gentlemen, I want you to sum up finally for me why I should choose your argument over the other guys. Look, final chance, make the case for Steph Curry. Keep it short, you get 20 seconds. All right, Steph Curry, I've already mentioned, he's made, he's had a measured effect and a continuing one 
on the NBA and basketball as a whole. And it's all based on his ability to shoot the ball. Um, until recently, he held a record for total three points made in a game. Uh, he was only beaten by his teammate, Clay Thompson's ridiculous 14 against the Bulls. Um, at one point this season, uh, following his 51 over the Wizards, he had, he had more made NBA threes than four entire franchises. He had 33. That was more than the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Thunder, and the Cavs at the time. And as I mentioned before, you know, this guy is the only ever a unanimous MVP. And let's be honest, he's, he's just a phenomenal shooter. And as Paul said, his range is unlimited. Hmm. Paul, tell me why Larry Bird should be judged as the recipient of Bob's best shooter of all time accolade. Okay, Larry Bird, 49% shooter from the floor over his whole career. A guy who shot over 50% five times. A guy who would tell you where he was going to make the shot and then hit it right in your face over and over and over again. Hitting buzzer beaters, clutch game winners. He's hit game winners in Michael Jordan's face. How many people can say that? This is a guy who came back from a broken cheekbone against the Pacers right at the end of his career when he was basically playing on fumes and hit virtually everything to get his team through a playoff series. There's only one for me. It's got to be him. In an era when he's playing Dr. J's Sixers, Magic's Lakers, Jordan's Bulls, there's only one. It's Larry Bird. <sighs> That's a tough one. With That's a really good argument there, Paul. <sighs> right. Bob's <laughs> a democracy. So just... So that people, if either of you guys don't agree with my decision, my cop-out is going to be, we're going to put it to a vote over the next week on our Twitter to see who you guys <laughs> believe, our listeners, that is the most compelling argument. But I'm also going to bring the gavel down on it. So pending the appeal, or, well, the judgment of our super listeners, I pronounce that Larry Bird is Bob's greatest NBA shooter of all time. This is a robbery. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good man. Brilliant. There's a guy who knows basketball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we try, we try. Okay, so that pretty much wraps it up for the fourth full episode of the Bouncy Orange Ball podcast. You've probably heard the odd plug throughout the show with the various ways you can follow Bob. Of course, remember to give us a follow on Twitter at Bouncy Podcast, as well as the NBA UK Fans Twitter account at NBA underscore UK Fans. You can subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for Bouncy Orange Ball, means you'll automatically get updated about our newest episodes. And of course, we are on SoundCloud as well. I'm on Twitter... And all that is at Hodgy the Hack. That's H O D G E Y the Hack. And Luke is on at Luke underscore Hatfield. And finally, Paul, if people want to follow you and hear more from you, where can they get you? Yeah, they can get me on at PB Sports Writer and uh, on the Daily Star, in the Daily Mirror, and the Daily Express. Brilliant. Thanks for sticking with us, everyone. We're grateful for our ever-growing legion of fans. That's why we call ourselves the home of hoops in the UK. ker As ever, keep an eye out for some more cool content across our Twitter between now and the next episode, including another Who Am I? And remember to get those questions into us. All that remains is for me to thank Paul for his fantastic contributions tonight. Thank you, Paul. No problem. Yay, to thank Luke and to thank you, our loyal listeners. Gracias, and until the next time, Hoops fans, adios.
Thanks for listening, everyone. To keep up to date with the Bouncy Orange Ball podcast, make sure you're following at NBA underscore UK fans on Twitter. That's where we and our partners, NBA UK fans, share all our cool content online. You can follow the podcast itself at Bouncy Podcast, as well as Stuart Hodge and Luke Hatfield on Twitter too. To do that, search for at Hodgie the Hack, that's H-O-D-G-E-Y the Hack, and at look underscore Hatfield. You can also submit questions for the show using the hashtag AskBob. And if Twitter's not your thing, then you can search for NBA underscore UK fans on Facebook and Instagram too. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us in the home of hooks in the UK. Okay.